Hello and welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. I'm Mark Shank. And I'm Mike Adams. And you've probably noticed that the the Sean is not here. He's not uh, doing the hosting as he would normally be doing because he's skiving off in the south of Spain with his wife having a five-week holiday, which is fantastic. So I'm taking over the hosting duties and with me is very, I'm very pleased to introduce Mike Adams, who's joined Anecdote recently. He's the the award-winning author of Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. And one of the things that I love about having Mike joining us is that we are able to have great conversations. So Sean, Paul, Mike, myself, uh, we go to the pub, have a beer, a glass of wine, and we have great conversations about all things story. And it really helps evolve our practice. So Mike, it's great to have you on board. Thanks. It's great to be an anecdote. Tremendous to have the uh, intellectual horsepower of the anecdote team to share ideas with oh, and <laughs> stories. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. So, so Mike's got a story, an experience that, that he had, and uh, I'll just throw to Mike and he can tell us about it, gives back, the backstory, and then we'll talk about how that story can be used in business and why it works. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Well, this is a story from very early in my career. Um, I graduated as an engineer and I worked on oil rigs very early in my career and, and in the late 1980s I was working in China, offshore in the north of China and I was transferred to Australia on very short notice. We had a you work anytime, anywhere policy and within 24 hours I was transferred to Australia for a few months and when I arrived in Darwin uh, to go out into the Timor Sea, a, um, an engineer from our company met me at the, um, at the airport uh, to take me around to the heliport, and he had two black eyes. And I, of course, asked him, how did you get two black eyes? And uh, he told me that he'd been in a helicopter crash the uh, week before. He'd survived a helicopter crash in the Timor Sea. Right, and you are about to jump onto a helicopter oh, yeah, and correct. fly out into the Timor Sea. Okay. I had a high interest in this story, Mark. <laughs> so I asked him how. And in a kind of a dead voice, I think he was still suffering some um, post-traumatic shock, he told me that they'd been cruising at about 3,500 feet, going out to a rig a couple of hours out into the Timor Sea, and the, um, the engine just stopped. Was it day or night? It was daytime, and there were about 15 of them on board. And the engine just stopped, and they started gyrating, auto-gyrating down into the, into the ocean. And, um, and he told me that on board were two helicopter safety specialists that were going out to the rig to do an audit and these guys gave them a training lesson on the way down before they hit the water. And um, so the first thing they said is, well, um, the helicopter's going to turn upside down pretty much immediately when it, when it hits the water. And, um, and it's going to fill up almost immediately as well. And you're going to have to dive down to the exit. And we're going to help you with that. We're going to be stationed at the door and we're going to get the life rafts out for you. And there's one very important thing. We're going to tell you just before we hit to take off your headsets and wrap them up and put them beside you because the last accident that we investigated, two people drowned because they got caught up in the headset cables and weren't able to, uh, to get out of the helicopter. So as my friend was telling me this, my new friend, and I'm taking it all in. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so they'd exa- everything happened as exactly as the guys said it would happen. And, and this engineer that was collecting me with the two black eyes, he was the last one out and he got kicked in the face. He was a little bit anxious to get out. I would be too. Yeah. And, um, and they got out. All of them were out. They had their life jackets on and they tried to inflate the life rafts and they didn't inflate. Both of them sank. 
and they were extremely fortunate there was a joint US Air Force, Australian Air Force exercise going on and they were picked up within about an hour and winched up out of the ocean and taken back to safety and no one was, uh, was injured, apart from a bit of chemical burning from, um, from the fuel in the water. And, um, you know, I, because I've spent a lot of my career in dangerous industries in mining and oil and gas, I used to tell that story pretty often and the point I would make then was that you may not be so fortunate as to have the, uh, the safety guy sitting next to you when it's happening. Maybe you'd like to have that knowledge ahead of time, right? And, and it, was always a, it was always a story that when I told it, people really listened and went, you know, okay, got it kind of thing. Um, interesting backstory, uh, sort of an, uh, interesting following on story. Uh, when I got to writing my book, uh, I didn't include that story in my book, but I was... Um, really thinking about all the stories that I used to tell in my career and wondering how true they are because one of the things that, that you know, we want to tell true stories. We, we don't want to be caught out with inaccuracies. And that story, you look, I'd heard it once in the 1980s, you know, did it even really happen? You know, I was just kind of wondering and I went online and managed to find the accident report from the crash. So I thought, okay, well, at least the crash happened. And then I started investigating on Facebook and LinkedIn, trying to find some people that I knew that had worked in the company at that time. And eventually I got the name of the person who picked me up, and his name's John Patel. He was living in Sydney, and I contacted him. And, and he was absolutely blown away that anyone knew about that thing. You know, he'd been spending his whole life trying to forget about it, and I'd remembered it. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, he came along to one of my public story workshops and he told that story in the workshop and we're, we're friends again now, so we've, we've reconnected since then. Um, so yeah, so that's the backstory and trying oh. to determine. And, and it turns out that I had remembered some things that he'd forgotten and he was able to fill in a couple of things that, that I didn't know because obviously it happened to him and, and the story as it is now, yeah, we have it. Well, I think when we come to unpack this story, we'll, we'll tackle that other dimension about uh, the truth and, yes. and about memory because that triggers some, some memories that I have of events where very, very famous public events where people have misrecalled yes. things. Yes, so, it's easy to do. Totally. So we'll, we'll tackle that as a, uh, as a, as a separate issue when, we, when we, we talk about it. But uh, let's talk now about why does that story work? And I'm going to start. Go for it. I'm going to start by saying that story is compelling because it's about life and death. No doubt. And we're totally wired for anything to do with life and death because it's about survival of the species. And we love to know that, you know, that story about the, the our clansmen who walked down that particular path and, and some of them got attacked by a saber-toothed tiger in the cave, we pay absolute attention to that because... It helps us stay alive. So it's so, a survival thing, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. So, so that's one of the first reasons that story works is because it's about life and death. Yeah. What about for you? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, the tone of voice that it was told in that sort of stressed out tone of voice. Um, the moments, the moment of two black eyes when you meet the guy and what happened, and you know, it has some imagery in the story as well that I think. Makes it work. Yeah, that imagery that, and, and the two black eyes prompting the question that revealed the experience. A really important detail in that story. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, the thing I remember instantly about it. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, that's right. So why does the story work? Yeah, it's a life and death experience. 
how relevant might it be? I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. Well, we'll, we'll talk about how, how it can be used in a business context. I guess uh, it's also relatable because a lot of people fly. Now, maybe Correct. not so many people fly in helicopters, but a lot of people fly in aircraft. And, and yeah. most of us, I think, don't take any notice of the safety instructions, I, right? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Here we are. How many? How many? Years? That was nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen eighty eight, I believe it was. Nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. So we're thirty one years. Correct. And like you yesterday. just remember it like yesterday. Correct. And we'll talk about the importance of that because it's the emotion contained in that makes it incredibly memorable. And I would wager that if you happen to be in a helicopter, and even though you've never done, uh, you've never been in a helicopter crash, that you've never done the training, uh, never for done that. the training for that, that you could. Not only not only remember it vividly, but help other people in that auto rotation phase Correct. to do what those safety instructors do. Even though you've not you've not written a you've not read or written a procedure, etc. So, uh, just one of those amazing things about stories about how they are incredible teaching story. You know, if they're teaching us. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. In fact, I would tell the story if I was in that situation. Hey well, guys, maybe you well, wouldn't maybe. have time to tell the story. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe you'd just go, folks. This is what's going to happen. 1988, similar experience. Here's what's going to happen. Bang, bang, bang. Because the auto-rotation phase is only going to take probably 60 to 90 seconds. That's uh, right. That's right. And so you've got a lot of information to get out in a very short space of time. I, I, I really gathered from the story that those two safety instructors, the safety investigators who were on the helicopter, it seemed from the way you described it and the way John must have described it to you, that they were pretty calm about it. Yes, they were calm and they were saving everyone's life. Yeah, and that's pretty awesome because that's not their job. No. No, their job <laughs> is, is investigating that's uh, right. accidents. That's right. And making sure that the systems and procedures are in place. Uh, to, mm. to, so for them to step up as they did, that's fantastic. And, and I'm assuming everyone, all 15 people got Everyone off. survived. The black, two black eyes was the worst injury. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty... It's extraordinary, isn't it? It is an extraordinary thing. Yeah. So, how could we make that story even better? What do you think would, would really amp up the effect of that story? And I'll, I'll start by saying, I don't know that there's a lot because it is compelling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the discussion is more about how could you use the story rather than maybe make it better. Mm. Um, yeah. And I guess the question, some of the questions that I asked as the story was being told at the end kind of might indicate some of the things that you could add in, such as night or day, yes. uh, did everyone survive and things like that. That's right. And yes. I would imagine that when you tell it in different scenarios, you would talk about the 15 people all uh, surviving and, yes. uh, and that. So, all right, so let's talk about business application. Yeah, the big one for me is we have a tendency in business to... Um, to itemize and process and bullet points, you know, here's what to do in a situation. So we've had a helicopter accident and we're going to write everything down in a procedure. In a procedure, yeah. yeah. We and love that, we love it. Don't we? And, and we, we, we think we're doing, a, we think we're solving the problem. That's right, but we're not doing it in any kind of memorable way whatsoever. Well, it's not contributing to behavior change. And, and it won't be recalled when it's needed. Yeah, and there's no way that if you're ever in that situation that you're not going to recall That's that right. story. That's right. But it's highly unlikely that you'll have read that you'll recall the procedure that you read in 1988. 
You just wouldn't, would Almost you? Almost certainly you're not going mean, to do that. We, we all sit through the safety briefings on the flights, you know, when we fly around the place and how much attention do we pay and do we even have any sense of what it would really be like to go down in a plane and what might happen? You know? Well, I, I must say I fly a bit too often then because <laughs> I, I, I can remember them even though I don't listen to them anymore. Mm. Um, Simply, well, simply because it's so many times. That's so many it. repetitions. Like thousands of times. That's true. Yeah. And so if you don't have thousands of repetitions, then mm. story is going... Well, you had one instance and it's instantly uh, has instant recall for you. That's right. So I guess one of the, the... So the business point here is that, yes, process and procedure has its place, but there is no substitute for, for vicarious experience. That's right. And That's so, right. And, and when you think the whole species, we've, we've, we didn't have processes and procedures until really recently, and the stories have been the things that have helped keep us, uh, help us right. survive as a species. Yeah, if you think about what you know, most of what we know, we never experienced. We learnt it through stories, and this is the way to pass on the information. But we tend to forget that a little bit in the business world, don't we? And so... You know, rather, let's say, by all means, write the procedure, but can you find ways in your company to get people to tell about an experience in a story that will be so much more memorable than, than just to try to itemise it, bullet point it, do mm. this, do this, do this? Exactly. And, of course, one of the, if we just talk now specifically about safety, um, one of the, the big changes in safety is understanding that most of the stuff that's going to help people be safe at work is behavioural. Correct. You know, sure, there's environmental and process factors, but a lot of it is behavioural. And uh, there's a Canadian uh, neurologist, Donald uh, Donald Kahn, and he's, I love uh, one of his quotes: um, "Logic leads to conclusions, emotion leads to action. Mm. And if your objective is behaviour change, then store the emotion contained in a, in a story such as the one you just told." is a great way to, uh, to help contribute to behaviour change. Yeah, that's right. Because contained in the story is all the triggers to help you remember what to do and to actually help you do that. Because you can actually imagine yourself swimming down out of the helicopter, right? So you have it contained in the story, the instruction of the action, as well as the, you know, here's what will happen and what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if we just shift focus slightly to the issue about mem- about accurate recall, yes, because you did the test with John, and uh, and maybe some of the details changed because we're generally not very. No, in fact, I'm going to take that back. There are many circumstances where the memories that we have an event are not an accurate re- recollection of the event. That's right. That's right. And and what we know about memory is that a lot of what happens with memory is post processing. So. Um, the, the way that the hippocampus works and we need like a sleep on it and then we need to kind of replay it in our mind to remember it. And it's, that's very easily corrupted. It's very easy to get an incorrect memory of what happened. And we yeah. see that in legal cases all the time with, with witness statements and, and that kind of thing. And so, and so we need to be a little bit careful with stories because our credibility relies on people trusting our stories. And this is particularly true of salespeople. I, I work with sales teams and, and salespeople start from a long way back when it comes to, for to credibility, credibility quite yeah. often, right? You know, they're yeah, in a category of people that, that may not be that trusted. And so how they build their credibility and trust, it's crucially important that they tell true stories. Totally. And just so, uh, just for, the, for those that are listening, uh, the last two days, 
Mike and I have been in Sydney, and Mike's been run, running some sales teams uh, through the uh, the Story Powered Sales program. And I got to sit in on Wednesday with with one group of about ten. 10 young salespeople. Yeah, average age 25, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I'm just trying to think whether any of them didn't have in their personal story, I never wanted to be a salesperson. No. Right. So, that, so yeah. all of them are going, oh, I didn't want to be in sales. This wasn't their and, career ambition, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> and, and that kind of, that, that speaks to that thing about our view of, of sales and how that credibility. That's right. Yes, they hadn't important. seen that as a career option, but they were pretty bright, oh, switched no. on people that took to storytelling very quickly, which was most encouraging. Well, when you show them how accessible it is and how yes. useful it can be. Yes, that's right. They picked up on it very quickly. Yes. Now, this on this issue of, of memorability and the accuracy of our recall, um, Malcolm Gladwell in his podcast, Revisionist History, did two episodes on this very topic. Yes, and I, I remember, heard those. Yeah, and I remember one of them that, that many of the podcast listeners will recall as well. It was a broadcaster in the US called Brian Williams, and he had been a reporter in one of the Desert Storm in, in Iraq, and he was in a... Uh, uh, CH-47 Chinook helicopter as part of a, uh, a, a, a number of, there were a number of helicopters and he had said that he was in, he was in the lead helicopter which was struck by small arms fire and it was forced to the ground and the other helicopters came down and they had to form a defensive position and yes. blah, blah, blah and then eventually rescued and, and so he told this story about 10 years after the event and one of the helicopter pilots called in and said, You weren't there. No, no, no. You weren't in my helicopter. I, ch- I went and checked the logs. And it turns out that Brian Williams was, in fact, in maybe the third helicopter. It wasn't the one that took the small arms fire, but it was. It arrived about 10 minutes after the incident and they were formed part of the defensive perimeter. But that, but his, and, and, and people think he's a liar. Yeah. But Gladwell makes the argument that he simply recalled the event. He's a human. Yeah, he's, he's recalled he's the event He's a human, and what happens is um, in that process of hearing people tell the story and replaying it yourself, it's very easy to, to put yourself in that and to think that was your memory. And we need to appreciate that the purpose of our memory is not to remember the past. It's to predict your action in the future. It's to keep you alive. And so... His memory of what happened in terms of predicting how he might behave in the future was a perfectly valid use of his brain, and it's how our brains work. The trick, of course, is to be aware of the fact that we can easily mix up our memories and to take that effort to just Absolutely, check as you did. As right? I did. Because yeah. in our conception of story and business, they are facts, they're wrapped in context, and they're delivered with emotion. You have to check your facts. Correct. And so that what you so for for those of you out there who have a story that you, you tell from years ago, uh, maybe pick up the Is phone or use LinkedIn <laughs> and and and, and oh, look. I know from personal experience that I I have done that. I've uh, had a memory from you know my football days of you know my ambitions to be selected in the uh, you know playing the big time and and I I changed the story. You know, like over over years it got better. And and I don't know. One day I was talking to my son and I just went actually. That's not exactly <laughs> And it took me like it My was, wife it was, performs that function for was, me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, it wasn't so, like that, Mike. <laughs> so so uh, checking the facts is, a, is a, a, a very important thing because your credibility is on the line, your authenticity and credibility. So get yes. the facts right. And what I like to tell salespeople is um, there are thousands of stories that you can tell and most of them are pretty low grade. It's finding the best stories and checking that they're true and and if it doesn't happen to be true or not quite right well we just need to find another one so it's that sifting through to find the best true stories that you can tell and that's that's what i coach people to do and one of the beauties of course is that there there are so many stories out there that are available to you to use you don't need to use a, a, a fake one that's right so that brings us to another application of that story which of course is in a sales situation uh, where you're trying to sell storytelling to a uh, in, yeah. in a uh, uh, in a safety situation. That's right. That's uh, just a no-brainer. Yeah. And, and you've, I've seen many organisations that use well, they, not only not only those experiences such as uh, the, uh, the the helicopter incident, but but people who've who've had accidents actually telling their story as a way of really reinforcing the desire. You know, the behavior they want people to avoid, but also hopefully getting them to do things that, that, you know, the behavior that they want them to do more of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story is the second best thing from having the actual experience. Yep. And in fact, funny you should say that because our Sydney partner, Paula Chilchik, I believe you had him on the previous podcast. Um, uh, he went to see a mining company just this week and I told him that story as, you know, this is a story I might tell a safety manager because he was meeting a safety manager and he did tell the story. And he was asked one question, which he couldn't answer, which was the date. When did that happen? Which comes back to our, do you know the facts of the yep. story? And, yep. and of course, the date... The story still worked. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But the date is one of those key details. It is. Time and place. Yep. Critically important. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so a fantastic story there. Not only... Uh, a story of, of luck and, and how John was, may, maybe you could say he was dead lucky. That he, he was had, dead lucky. That he no. had those two instructors. <laughs> lucky he's not dead. <laughs> had those two instructors on the, on the helicopter that day. I'm really taken by the, the calmness that they exhibited and, and yes. talking the, 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 the group through that experience. It is, it is extraordinary and uh, really uh, that'll, that's one of the things that will stick in my mind. So it is a very useful story, partic- particularly if you want to make the point about the difference between process and and experience yes. as as ways to get people to remember the behaviours that you want them to undertake in the future, way beyond safety, way beyond yeah. There's the application of finding people to tell their story rather than write out a process or an instruction or a bullet point dot points. That's the message. Yeah. So now we get to this, the part of the podcast where we're going to give that story a rating. Okay. And so because you told the story, I'll go first and I'm going to give that, that story, I'm going to give that a seven and a half. Hmm. Powerful story. One of the, the only shortcoming of that story is that there are, there are only a few situations where I might be able to use that, but it would be incredibly powerful in those situations. Yes, that's right. The, the wider way to, to use the story would be as an example of why we should collect stories to share experiences rather than write processes. You could use the story in that context. Exactly. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think that's about right. I think about seven and a half. I've listened to a few of your anecdote po- podcasts and I've, you know, I think that scoring sounds about right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so fantastic. Yeah. So that's the end of this episode of Anecdotally Speaking. And join us again next week for another opportunity to, f- to find out how we can all put stories to work. 
Thanks, Mike, for joining us and look forward to you on another episode. Thanks, Mark.